Hey everyone, Sean here. Before we kick off the show, a quick special announcement for listeners to the Operations Podcast. Hypergrowth London for 2020 is already around the corner, believe it or not. We are super excited to be returning to London for the second year in a row. There will be an amazing lineup. May 6th in London will be the kickoff to Hypergrowth of the 2020. And of course, I wanted to put something special together for the people who listen to the Operations Podcast. So if you listen to this show and you want to go to Hypergrowth London on May 6th, you can use the promo code OPS, O-P-S, to get a discounted ticket. The discounted ticket is only £59. I don't know what the translation is that of that is for dollars. Just bear with me. 59 pounds. The general admission normally is 499 pounds. So use the promo code OPS, O-P-S, to get your tickets Enjoy hypergrowth. Now, on with the show. Hey, everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies and hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. I've always been fascinated with the intersection of sales operations and sales enablement. It's where process, performance, systems, and and analysis all converge. And in recent years, the tools at this particular intersection have absolutely exploded. And I'm going to be honest, the options can be a little overwhelming. What should I be adding to my tech stack? What should I be removing? How many tools are too many? It's daunting. Luckily, I met today's guest, Melanie Follet. She is an expert in navigating the sales enablement landscape. Melanie is the co-founder and CEO of Speckit, a digital adoption platform for creating, maintaining, and surfacing training. On today's episode, Melanie and I go deep on measuring the ROI of different enablement tools. We're going to talk about the reality of tool exhaustion and the important distinction between change management and change enablement. We're also going to learn about how her former boss telling her they were getting rid of Salesforce eventually led to her co-founding the company she runs today. But first, as I mentioned, Melanie is the expert here and our guide in this exploration of the intersection of sales operations and sales enablement. So as the CEO of an enablement company, how does she think about the enablement landscape and the categories of tools on the market today? I think that's a really good question. There are just so many tools on the market right now. It's hard to make those decisions. But if you really break it down, like I think there's a few different like main categories that depending on the complexity of your sales process and depending on the stage of the company that you're at, you'll you'll need, right? The first obvious ones are some form of coaching slash onboarding tools, right? So think solutions like Level Jump or more of a traditional LMS, right? How do you get your new hires up to speed quickly and effectively on your organization, on your products, on your processes, et cetera? But then when you move into the day-to-day of a rep, you obviously need some sort of a pipeline management solution. You know, whether that's a sales loft or more of like a SMB play where you might need a pipe drive, you're going to need a repository that helps your team manage all of those different deals and contacts and lists that they're working on. And then, you know, when we set up Speckit, we immediately invested in tools that would make it easier for our sales team to prospect and really increase their day-to-day productivity. So when I think about that category of tools, I think of tools like Zoom Info, LinkedIn Sales Navigator that helped you actually you know, put together lists 
of potentially qualified prospect within your ICP that really save a lot of time around like actually finding phone numbers and emails and all that information. And then you pair that with an email automation tool of some sorts, right? If you're a little bit earlier stage, maybe a simpler tool like a Yesware might might work. But once you get to a certain scale, you might want tools like Outreach or SalesLoft that help you, I guess, create personalization at scale, right? The ability to create cadences and just remove a lot of that like manual burden every day when it comes to remembering to reach out to your prospects. So pipeline, prospecting, sales productivity, and then knowledge tools, right? How do you ensure that your team members have the right information at the right time, whether that's more externally facing knowledge on your products or internal information on your processes or even on how to better sell, right? So think battle cards, discovery questions, et cetera. And that's more so the category of tools that, that Speckit falls into. And then like once you start scaling, and again, this depends on the kind of business that you have, but then you start needing more like a CMS solution, right? A high spot, a seismic, a collateral management solution that allows you to measure the effectiveness of your collateral at, you know, within your sales process. Like what are the kinds of collateral and content that actually influence your, your sales team? And then tools like sales intelligence platforms, like we invested in Chorus and it's made a huge difference for us, both in onboarding new reps, because you can create cool playlists on objection handling and on different competitors, on different use cases that reps can listen to. But also when you're doing call reviews with your reps, right? Being able to listen into those calls and identify coaching opportunities. And again, like these are different categories of tools that you might invest at different stages. Like I'd assume most organizations might invest a little bit later stage in a CMS or chorus. But again, it really depends on the complexity of your sales process. Like if you have a one call close, even if you're a late stage company, a tool like Highspot or Seismic not, might not make sense for you. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's so interesting because I'm sitting here kind of taking notes as you're listing all of those out. And, you know, you you rattled off, you know, six or seven different categories and it, it feels like a lot. But there is kind of like this element of growing into some of these depending on your stage. Do you have kind of like a gauge that you use both for your company at Speckett or for having these conversations with prospective customers about when you know that some of those needs might exist in your company and it's time to add another one into the tech stack? You know, I think it, it's one of those answers again, like it depends on the composition of your sales team. You know, what is your ratio of SDRs to AEs? Like there's so many different factors. Like what is your cost attributed to setting a meeting, right? Like there's so many different things that come into play in terms of like what levers you want to pull to bring more efficiency to your team. But more tools, as you and I both know, like is not always the answer, right? Like tool exhaustion is a is a real problem, right? It increases the amount of ramp up time for new reps. It creates a lot of noise in the day-to-day process when your team members have to jump from one tool to the next to do all these different things in them. And so I'm a big believer that as much as you can, like investing more in platforms or having as integrated of a tool stack as you can, you know, making sure that all your tools are highly integrated into Salesforce, if that's your platform of choice, um, is super important. But I was actually looking at our tech stack recently as we were preparing for budgeting. And I looked right now, if you just look at our sales tools, so not including tools like Slack and Zoom that are more like company-wide tools, but we're spending right now $500 ahead. But what I think is interesting there is like, that's not even like near the actual cost of the tools, right? Because what you, you're not including there is the cost of setting up those tools, the cost of maintenance of those tools, the headcount that you might need, you know, at a certain scale to just manage all the sequences in a solution like outreach, right? Those, are, those might be full-time sales enablement hires or product marketing hires for a tool like Highspot, 
right? And so when you start like really taking a step back and looking at the comprehensive costs of a tool, it's pretty shocking. This is such an interesting and helpful way to look at your sales enablement tech stack. For Melanie and her relatively small team at Speckit, they are already spending $500 ahead on enablement tools. And to her point, that's just the cost of the tool itself. It doesn't even mention the ops team, the IT team, and the management costs that are going to also go into assessing, implementing, and ultimately maintaining these tools. I counted seven different categories of tools in Melanie's description. For sales enablement folks out there, no wonder it can feel overwhelming, seven different categories. But I think Melanie's approach can bring a little more simplicity to your decisions of when to add which tools to your stack. You don't even need to have this super sophisticated tech stack right off the bat, particularly when you have a smaller sales team. But what I need help with in my business, and I'm sure plenty of other people are in the same boat, is how can I better get at what the ROI of any particular enablement tool will be. I think what's really interesting and one of the only real stats out there around like the full cost of a tool is actually looking at the IDC report on Salesforce. So if you look at Salesforce, for every dollar that's spent in the Salesforce ecosystem, today, $3.5, $3.4 to be exact, are spent in the ecosystem. So the ecosystem might be professional services, so Salesforce implementation partners. It might be add-on tools, you know, like Conga and tools like Speckit that help you drive adoption. It would be your Salesforce admins and developers that you have full-time in-house. And that number is actually projected to increase to 5.2x by 2022, I believe. Right. So for every dollar you're spending on Salesforce, your CFO should be budgeting to spend about 5.2x on the ecosystem as a whole. Now, again, that's going to vary by organization, but if you take that into consideration, then the cost of a, of a single tool you know, dramatically increases. Jumping in here quickly, this just goes to show you how powerful being in the Salesforce ecosystem can be, which by the way, spec it is. For every dollar a company spends on Salesforce.com, Melanie says that that same company will spend an additional $5.20 on other Salesforce-related things in the coming years. Okay, back to Melanie. And so I think when it comes to like actually selecting the tools, like really doing a proper, I think ROI analysis are hard because you need to have a lot of really strong input measures going in, right? And most companies I talk to when I ask them questions like, hey, do you have any idea how long it takes your new reps to get up to speed on all the different tools in your technology stack, right? The answer 90% of the time, if not more, is we don't really know. Some of them have a big idea of what the real like ramp up time is for a rep. But if you're selling a productivity tool and you're looking at, you know, well, we're going to increase your time spent selling, most organizations don't even have a really good way of measuring that, right? And so it, it comes down to more than just like that quantitative way of looking at ROI. It's also like, well, is this going to make our employees happier? Is it going to make their jobs easier, right? Are they going to be less frustrated because instead of having to go searching for information, it's surfaced to them when and where they need it, right? So that there's a lot of different inputs to put in that I think you need to look at this problem holistically and not just looking at the like exact ROI calculation, which realistically is, if you find, find a way to do it, please let me know. <laughs> I've talked to large teams and it's just a hard problem to solve. Yeah, but I think you just gave people some some really nice categories that they can bucket some of those inputs or outputs for for ROI and those types of decisions, right? So obviously dollars is is going to be the first one that anybody looks at, and that could be in the form of 
someone's productivity and their ramp or just a lift of existing employees, right? But also things like time, like how much you're giving them back in a day to, to ultimately hopefully drive the dollars as well. And then I think that the happiness thing is real because you brought up the point earlier about tool exhaustion. Like that is totally a thing. And if you aren't smart about the way you both add to and then refine and call down your tech stack from a sales enablement perspective, then there's no way that any rep is going to be able to just withstand like the constant onslaught of only adding new new tools after new tool after new tool. Yeah. And it's not just adding new tools. It's, you know, when I talk to customers that are like first implementing a solution like Salesforce or, or any really any other tool, like you're not going to see the ROI on that tool at implementation right? ROI comes at optimization. Like once you're actually going in and refining what you initially built out. I mean, just think about Drift. How many times have you guys added and changed Salesforce since you guys first implemented the solution, right? Like it's probably a very different tool than it was a couple of years ago. And like part of that is because every time you add a new business line, you're going to make a change to Salesforce, right? Every time you refine your sales process and get smarter about your ICP and what works and what increases your close rates, you're going to start tracking new kinds of information on your customers. Like these tools are constantly going to be evolving as you get smarter about your business and as you get smarter at using these tools. And so it's not just thinking about like, okay, what is a cost going to be an implementation of getting buy-in and, and training and, and all that? But it's more so as we think about our broader strategy, like what is our change enablement strategy? right? How that constant change that's happening across, you know, the nine average applications that, that a rep uses, plus all the other things that are changing in your organization, you know, going to affect their, their ability to focus on, on, on their numbers on a day-to-day basis. I found myself furiously scribbling down Melanie's specific word choice there, change enablement strategy, change enablement. We hear so much about the change management inside of hypergrowth companies or change management when it comes to adopting new tools, but I think we've got it backwards. I'm going to make a point moving forward to invert that thinking and not focus on the change management, but the change enablement. Enablement is literally the act of making something possible for someone else. The primary focus shouldn't be on the person or the team managing the change. It should be about who is being enabled. And as it turns out, one of our earliest guests on this podcast, Brett Queener, is now a board member at Speckit. And he had a great quote about Speckit and sales enablement in general that I thought was super telling. He said, quote, as we saw over the last two decades, software is eating the world. The average organization deploys more than 30 SaaS solutions, but are employees happily eating or consuming the software? Billions in productivity and SaaS investment spend are wasted because teams simply don't understand how to best leverage the constantly changing software investments their companies have made, end quote. And that brings us back to change enablement. It's hard sometimes for even me to keep up with all the new features that Drift launches on our own product, never mind all the tools we use from other vendors. And every tool in your tech stack is probably a similar story. And Melanie says that that's something they're trying to solve at Speckit. It's a term we're trying to coin a little bit because I think that's a challenge that every organization out there has, which is like, how do you keep 
your teams aligned? You know, why, how do you keep the plane flying while you're building it or, or whatever that expression is, right? But everything, like the one thing every single organization and sales team and an operations team has out there is that like change is constant, right? Whether it's in your own product and services, whether it's in your processes, whether it's in your tools, like there is so much change and, and day-to-day decision-making that people need to keep track of. And so how can we make that just a little bit easier for for employees and for their managers and for the enablement teams that are having to keep track of all this change as well as enable their users on it? Yeah, it's it's interesting when you're talking what you just mentioned about, you know, people not even knowing what kind of features are available in their tools. Like I was asking my team member the other day about this feature and outreach. She's like, oh, I don't know. And, you know, turns out we just hadn't been using that feature for for a couple of weeks. And you know, when it comes to just software not getting utilized, there's a lot of tools out there that that measure that. But if, um, you know, looking at some of the customers that were prospects that we've been talking to recently, like one of them has over 4,000 employees and they have a 70% login rate ever in Salesforce, right? And that goes to show that, you know, just introducing tools, if you don't have the right change management strategy around that, if you don't, you know, properly train your users on on how to use them, then and it's really hard. And, and one of the things I was talking with the organization, I'm like, listen, like I can't solve for the fact that people aren't logging into Salesforce, right? Like that at the end of the day, like if you, there's a really interesting Australian study that breaks down, you know, the factors that impact technology adoption. I'll send it to you afterwards. But it really comes down to a couple of different factors. The first one is perceived usefulness, right? Like what are the benefits to that user? Like why as an employee do I want to use that tool? What is it going to do for me? Right? And to me, that's, you can't do that in a tool, right? That is what your in-person training needs to be focused on. That is what your time with your employees needs to be focused on. It's like, here's why we've invested in this tool. Here's how it's going to benefit you and make you better at your job, right? And here's what you can benefit from using it. You're going to get more sales, whatever it is. And then there's managerial support, right? So what, you know, how do you make it easy for them to use the tools, right? And that's where more of, you know, a solution like Specky comes in, which is like, as I'm navigating the tool, any question that I have is easily answered. And then lastly, it's peer influence, right? And that's why more and more organizations, especially in larger teams, we see have, you know, power user boards or champion champion boards where they identify like some key influencers in their sales teams or operations teams, either because they're, you know, top performers or because they've been at the company for a long time or because like people just listen to them. They're that person that, you know, has a, has a lot of friends in the organization. But if you get those people bought into the tools and they can be your force multipliers, meaning when you're, you know, trying to get adoption in the sales process, they can speak on your behalf rather than your IT team pushing that change or sales ops pushing that change. You can really create a little bit more momentum around the adoption of those tools. Yeah, I, I love those three categories, perceived usefulness, manager support, and, and peer influence. And and all three of them, I think, combined together would, would make for, for like a great rollout of a new tool or a great ongoing enablement of an existing tool. But to me, that, that third one you just talked about, peer influence, time and time and time again is the one that I see that makes or breaks anything that we use. Anything that we use. If we don't have that third one, forget about it. It's not, it's not going to make it. 100%. That's what I spent a lot of my time on at when I was managing Salesforce and the majority of our tech stack at my last company, like I was just spending so much time figuring out like who were the people that I had to win over and figuring out like what, you know, literally sitting down with them, watching them work and asking them like, why aren't you using this, right? How can I make this easier? What's something that, that pains you, right? And just identifying the low hanging fruit and quick wins that I could potentially like roll out in Salesforce. Sometimes it's as simple as like a button that allowed them to like pull a report, you know? I mean, it's sometimes it's 
silly, but if you get buy-in from those folks on your team, then, you know, when you roll it out, I'm like, okay, great. I just built this thing. You asked me, go let everyone know. Right. And all of a sudden it's not this IT forcing adoption. It's not your sales ops. It's not your sales enablement. You've now got this, you know, champions board of people that, that can do that. And you can do it officially. You can do it unofficially. I think it really depends on your culture and, and your organization, but you know, just like there's sales presidents club that, that really rewards top sales performers. I think there's something to say about, you know, having power teams, you know, power influencers out there that really promote operational excellence in their organization. Because at the end of the day, like that makes a huge difference on your bottom line as well. Make sure you're taking those three strategies with you the next time you're launching a new tool or trying to boost adoption of a tool you've already got. Perceived usefulness, manager support, and peer influence. And even if you can't incorporate all those strategies, take Melanie's simplest advice. Just sit with the reps. So many people skip that crucial step. Spend time with reps, observe them, learn, and then react. I always find it fascinating when I'm talking to someone like Melanie, who previously worked in sales operations before co-founding Speckit. And now later on, she finds herself selling a product aimed at operations folks. But it was that very experience in sales operations that led her to start the company in the first place. Well, the whole inspiration for Speckit was kind of interesting because I was working for a company at the time. It was called Realty Shares. I joined early on and we'd gone from like 15 to 150 employees, Series C company in, in a little over a year and a half, right? So all the classic like growth challenges, you know, high growth, lots of employee onboarding, everything constantly changing, buying tools left and right. And one of those was Salesforce. And we made a lot of mistakes. And if there's one thing everyone can take away from this episode is don't go cheap on the people that are going to be implementing that tool, right? One of the mistakes we did is like we went offshore. Granted, this was way before I was involved in it, but we went offshore and we had a team building it and we had a complex data model, right? We were a real estate crowdfunding platform. We weren't the out of the box Salesforce where you were just adding a few fields to your accounts and contacts. And they got our entire data model wrong. We didn't do any proper training. And, you know, you're into the solution while we'd spent a lot of money on licenses and, and everything, like we were just getting pretty much no adoption, right? Everyone was still working out of spreadsheets. We were going to be increasing headcount across all teams. And so our, our IT team, our CTO at the time, suggested to the leadership team, hey, we're going to get rid of Salesforce. And that's when our CEO came up to me. He's like, hey, Mel, you know, we're going to get rid of Salesforce and they're going to build something internal instead. And I was working on in a tall building in San Francisco, looking at the Salesforce tower in a construction and I was managing like the majority of our operations teams at the time. And I'm like, this is just crazy, right? Like Salesforce <laughs> tower under construction. Everywhere. Like, they know what they're doing. Like their software works. Like the fact that we did not implement it correctly is crazy. And I just strongly believe that like you should take a build versus buy versus rent approach to everything. And like building a CRM as a real estate tech company, those two things just don't align, right? Like our engineering team should only be building things that are unique to our differentiation, our core. And so I was like, you know what, Nav, like, give me a couple weeks. He's like, how many weeks? I'm, three weeks. Give me three weeks. I'm going to get my hands dirty and like figure out this Salesforce thing. And I went to work. Like I spent three weeks. Like I, I didn't pull all-nighters. I've never done that in my life, but I spent a lot of time in Salesforce and basically started unraveling everything. And, and it, I, all I had to do was like prove out for one use case for our BDR team that there was value there. And then over the next, you know, year and a half, I basically became our Salesforce product owner, integrated it with all of our tools. And the biggest challenge I had was as I was making all these changes, 
Our documentation that was across Google Drive and PowerPoint and our LMS was constantly out of date because those two things aren't connected, right? When I make a change in Salesforce, that documentation doesn't update. I have to manually remember to go update it. I was like, well, this is not a great use of my time. And then our sales team, even when I did document things, half the time was outdated and they would never go back and look at it because it wasn't easy to access. And so that's when I started looking for a solution. I was like, okay, I know my sales team needs all this information in Salesforce and whatever tool they're using. And as the person managing all these tools, like I've got no time, let alone for documentation. And I need this to be as efficient and easy as possible. And so that was really how we designed Specit, where you can actually create your documentation by pulling in your fields and your pick list and then surfacing those across your tools with a bunch of extensions. That's amazing. I mean, it's just like the classic story of like, you have this problem, but most people don't do anything about that problem. Like you literally started a company around the pain that you were feeling, which is amazing. I felt it pretty heavily between all of our onboarding plus like just constant complaining, like this thing changed. You know, I was, and the thing is, it's not that I wasn't communicating these changes, right? I was sending emails. I was posting on Slack. I was posting on Chatter. Like I was posting in like every place possible. And, it, you know, when we talk to customers, like our goal is to complement a true learning management system, right? There's still a use case for that. But at the end of the day, like I think as consumers, we've gotten so accustomed to information being available at your fingertips, right? Like if I ask you a random question, you can Google it on this phone call within two seconds. Yet at the workplace, like it's almost like we've accepted the fact that we're just going to like search. And then if we don't find an answer, we're going to send something on Slack or send an email and then wait for the answer. Like it's just, in my opinion, was an outdated way of doing things. And you mentioned something briefly there about, you know, documentation, right? And the, and the time required to do it. And right. And so I've always thought of that as, you know, a necessary evil of, look, this is something that you're going to have to spend time on, but the upfront time investment is going to save you in the long run because it's just a higher leverage way of disseminating information in a better way. But then there's like always the updating and the constant iterations as your processes change or processes change and the documents don't get updated. So like, what is the right way to think about documentation in in the context that we're talking about? Because at the end of the day, I've got 70 sales reps and processes that change every day and they're not applicable to everybody. Like, how do you recommend to operations teams as you're talking to them the right way to approach that problem? I mean, frankly, like this is a problem I'm trying to solve every day with Speckett. It's funny because whenever I talk to friends, they're like, you really built like a documentation training company? Like that's what you wanted to put all your <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's a, it's a really unsexy problem, but you know, it's a problem that, that every organization out there faces, right? Like the upkeep and maintenance of knowledge. And our first hypothesis was like, well, if you connect your knowledge, if you build your knowledge from your underlying systems and processes, meaning you write your process documentation from your underlying processes, then as your processes change, meaning as you build out Salesforce, that's one way for it to stay up to date. But in terms of like taking this strategic approach to how do you actually look at maintaining your knowledge, like one, it's it's really decentralizing some of that knowledge upkeep, right? So being able to assign other subject matter experts in your organization to it. So think about line managers, right? Not just having an enablement team be responsible for it, but having different line managers that can own different parts of it. So that's one. And then two, you know, when we onboard a new customer, we look at like, what are the key challenges that employees are having today, right? So if they have some sort of a help desk, we look at what are the key questions that they're getting in their help desk, right? Then we're looking at like, what parts of Salesforce are people are getting? We'll create a little bit of like a content map and strategy. But the big message that I, that I share with them is like, our goal is not to like create a repository 
and then that goes to die, right? Like that's where documentation goes to die is if you think about it as a project. Instead, it really needs to be a habit. Meaning when someone asks you a question, like my team knows, like we use our own tool religiously, largely for product research. (laughs) Because I use it for all of our onboarding. Like if someone asks me a question, they know that I've got no problem answering it, but it's their responsibility to then go create a spec for it and then share it with the rest of the team. Right. Knowing that then it multiplies. And the whole idea is like you're already spending, you're already documenting these things 90% of the time. It's just in Slack, it's in your email, et cetera. And so if you can start like getting in that habit of like, okay, instead of answering that email, I'm going to create a spec and then send it out. Right. Or instead, and, and even if you're not using a modern knowledge solution like like ours or, or others that are on the market, like if you're just using Google Drive, like I mean, back at, at Realty Share is like my servicing team knew that if they were asked something, like their responsibility was to go and update the Google Doc with an 80 page servicing manual. And then they had to tag me in a comment so that I could go in and verify it. Right. Damn. It, part, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But it, it just has to be part of that culture where like you need to value it. And, and frankly, like you start seeing the multiplying effect of having the right process documentation. Like at, at first, like our team, before I took over our servicing team, like it was, we projected like a four month ramp up and it was going to take six people by the end of the year to handle our servicing volume. And we only ended up needing two because like every answer they needed was documented. It was easy for them to get up to speed. And we see it day in and day out with our sales team too. Like our, <laughs> a funny story, our AE, his first day was on the floor at Dreamforce at our booth this year. And I just sent him like some documentation for I was like, hey, I want you to read through all this. Like, and I documented everything, our discovery questions, our battle cards, a competitive edge, like absolutely everything he needed to know is documented. And like he was at our booth, like just doing a great job. So it is a necessary evil. It's not one that I love doing either, but I think most operational leaders will will realize that it's the gift that keeps on giving. Melanie's advice to make this mindset shift around documentation is super powerful. It's not as painful or as cumbersome when it's just normal and the investment is truly worth it. And she should know, right? It's her world. Too often we don't recognize our own enablement gaps or problems until it's too late. So I couldn't let Melanie leave without giving us some advice about how to get ahead of these problems, how to look around corners when it comes to enablement in our own companies. I think part of it is like future-proofing your your tech stack, right? Like what are some of the things that you can do today that are going to make every future new tool that you want to implement, new process change you want to roll out, et cetera, easier, right? And some of those might be like creating like a tool evaluation. Uh, you know, as we were talking earlier, like what are the different things that you need to look at when you're, you know, evaluating a, a, a tool? Some of those might be like putting the proper training in place or and even if that's a Google Doc, right? But like actually spending this time like, documenting your key processes, the key things that really matter so that, you know, the next, you might be onboarding a couple SDRs a month, but when that number increases to 20 SDRs a month, I was actually talking to my friend Nicolette at, at Snowflake that onboarded like 40 SDRs in a week. I'm like, oh my God, you know, it's just, they're, they're just absolutely exploding. But, you know, that you have the tools and processes in place to support that kind of scale. And at the end of the day, like as a sales manager, as a coach, like, I want my time being spent helping my team be better at selling, right? Be better at closing, be better at selling, be better at speaking to our customers. The last thing I want to be spending all my time on is like teaching them like what fields in Salesforce they need to fill out or how to use outreach and how to have a sequence, right? So I think those are just like topics that need to be conversations that just need to have to be had internally, which is like, okay, what we have in place works now, but you know, what does that look like in six months? 
once we really start scaling these, these teams. Before we go, at the end of each show, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months? Oh, that's a good question. Challenger sale. Favorite part about working in ops or in your case with ops? (laughs) Being a part of a lot of really important conversations in the organization. How about your least favorite part about working in ops? Having to deal with all the problems of the organization. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody who impacted you getting the job you have today. Wow. My old boss when I was an intern here in Colorado, when I was still in college, he was one of the first CTOs at Zynga. And he was like, Mel, you need to go to San Francisco. Like you can't stay in Colorado. You've got to go to San Francisco. You need to do the whole startup thing. Like you're, you're meant to be in that world. And so I packed up my bags, went to San Francisco and ended up back here. (laughs) It was definitely important to, to getting off the ground. That's amazing. All right. Last one. One piece of advice for somebody who wants to have your job someday. Don't be afraid to speak up in meetings. Take every opportunity that comes your way. Like when someone points out a problem, you know, don't, don't just point out problems, offer solutions. And when you see something that's just like an ongoing challenge, like take the leap, like be proactive in trying to solve it. And I think like the more you do that, the more you start making a name for yourself in the organization and are able to to start, you know, really making a name for yourself and rising to the top. A huge thank you to Melanie Filet for joining us on this week's episode of Operations. I mentioned earlier in the show a quote from Melanie's board member, Brett Queener. If you want to go back and you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to the Brett Queener episode. It was one of our earliest episodes and it's still to this day one of my favorites. Also, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a six-star review on Apple Podcasts, six-star reviews only. And if you're just listening to this because someone shared the link with you or you're checking it out for the first time, make sure you click subscribe so that this gets delivered into your feed every other Friday. Thanks so much for listening. That's going to do it for me. We'll see you next time. 